Colossians chapter 2. I quit. Wonder if you've ever been tempted to say that phrase. I'm sick of it. Just not going to do this anymore. People quit lots of things. When I was about your age, pretty close, grade school, junior high age, some of you may know this, my parents had a dream that I would be a piano player. And that was not a shared dream. Uh, They wanted me to play piano. I you know, was kind of into it at first, but then shortly thereafter, it was just not what I wanted to do. Piano for me was just not that, not my thing. I I played for a few years, but ultimately just didn't practice. I like didn't want to go to the lesson because the teacher just knew I wasn't practicing and did anything I could to get out of those recitals (laughs) big time. I wanted to quit. And as soon as my parents said, I think it was about eighth grade or seventh grade, they said, hey, look, it's your decision. Uh, If you don't want to do this anymore, you can. I was like, I quit. I just immediately, I didn't even let them finish the sentence. I was out on it so fast. People quit things all the time. People quit their jobs. I read somewhere this week that like one out of three people or just constantly like looking for a new job, thinking about a new job. One out of three is just a lot. Like read people like 90% right after they sign up for the gym. 90%, nine out of 10 people quit like in the first three months. People quit stuff all the time. They quit reading books when the book is just like not the way they want it to go, or it's just not as interesting as they want it to be. People quit school. You can't quit school, but I read college students, like 40% of college students drop out of college. People quit things all the time. Junior hires quit stuff all the time too. Girls stop wearing bows in their hair. Boys stop combing their hair. You quit like getting up when you're supposed to, like when you, when you need to get up, you want to sleep in. When you can sleep in, you like want to get up. It's really weird. You you quit letting your, most of you quit letting your parents dress you. You quit saying, I love you, mommy, when she drops you off at a friend's house. So much quitting. What a bunch of quitters you guys all are. Quitting a normal thing. Hard to go through life without meeting someone who quits or being someone who has quit something. Sometimes quitting can be a good thing. Sometimes quitting can be the worst thing. So we're going to talk about this morning. There's nothing more dangerous, more destructive, nothing more damaging or harmful than wanting to to turn your back on Christ and wanting to quit following Jesus. Paul knew that this was true, and it's something that he wanted to instill in the lives of the believers at Colossae. There was something that was pulling them away from following Christ. There was something that was luring them away from 
their faith, something that was tempting them to say, this is too hard, or I don't want to do this anymore, or I quit. Those temptations, of course, they still exist today. It's easier to not have to worry about sin, what, what it is or what it's not. Easier to just, you know, sleep in and not get up early to be in the word. You can live however you want. If you're not concerned about obeying Christ, it's just easier. Following Christ is not easy. And besides those reasons, there are so many other things that can happen in life, so many other temptations, so many other issues that spring up that tempt us, just like the Colossians, to want to say, I quit. I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. Our big idea this morning is this. If I'm a Christian, then I should continue to live for Christ. If I'm a Christian, then I should continue to live for Christ. In other words, maybe you could just write this down. That's kind of long. You could just write this. Christians don't quit. They keep following Christ no matter what. Keep following Christ no matter what. Let's jump back into our text here, chapter 2 of Colossians, and we'll start in verse 6. God's word says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted in him, and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul has already said a lot in this letter, and it's it's not a long letter, and we're just now in chapter 2, but he has said a lot to these believers here in Colossae, and so much of what he's been saying is it's been leading him to this section right here. This is what he's been you know, wanting to say, this is the theme of this whole letter, the text before us this morning, like this is so much of what Paul's just been eager to get at. Paul was desperate to address this this problem in Colossae, this issue for these believers. There was a threat among them. 
there was this like coup of, of false teaching here, and it was threatening these Christians, luring them away from the truth, tempting them to quit, to give up on their faith, to do something else here, and the, to kind of abandon this truth of what they were taught. So it's something's here, and it's dangerous, and we don't know exactly what it is, but we know it's something that's enticing them to stop walking in Christ, to follow this new teaching instead. So what's going to protect them? What is it? What will help them to keep walking in Christ? What will give them that desire to, to keep going, to not quit? What about believers today? What about young Christians today? What will protect you if you're in Christ What will help you to just keep living for Jesus, to give you that desire to to keep obeying, even when it's so difficult, even when it's so tough, even when you just, you want to say, like the Colossians, I kind of like to quit. What is it? The answer to all those questions is right here in our text this morning, and we're just going to chop it up here in three parts. How can Christians make sure they don't quit living for Jesus, I'll say it this way. Number one, stay connected to Christ. Verses six and seven, stay connected to Christ. Verse six, it says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Paul begins with this reminder here of the truth that they had received. And we've talked about this, this truth that they heard from Epaphras, which Epaphras learned it from Paul, the truth of the gospel, the truth that they knew about Christ, who Jesus truly is and what he had actually done. It had all been explained to them. They understood it. They knew, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, they knew the mystery that God's love, it wasn't just for his people. It wasn't just for Jewish people. That God's love was for the nations. They too, as Gentiles, were part of God's plan of redemption. They could be in the kingdom of God. They knew that God sent his son to die for them, for their sin. And we know that promise too. And they didn't have to be alienated by their sin any longer. They could be forgiven and and, and their relationship with God could be what it was supposed to be. They received this truth. They, they heard it and they knew it. And, and it, was the, it was the entire message. It was the authentic gospel, if you will. It's the real thing. There's no other message. We've been saying that, but that's part of the issue. It's not like it was part one of two or three. Like this is the whole message. This is the real thing, nothing else to the gospel story because Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. We don't need to add anything for our salvation. And since these believers had that full understanding and the the genuine gospel, Paul says, you just need to keep walking in Christ. Continue to walk in Christ. They not only heard that Jesus is Lord, but they believed it. They received Jesus as their Lord, and they need to just persist in that truth. They need to not stop. So when Christ becomes your Lord, there's going to be a change in the way you live, a change in the way that you walk. 
We talk about that a lot in junior high. You may remember from our uh, Ephesians study, chapter 4, what Paul said there, verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk or live as Gentiles do. Or it's just a word that also means like those who don't know God. You can't live like that anymore. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hard heart. Paul says in Ephesians 4.20, that's not the way you learn Christ. Put off your old self, which just belongs to the way you used to live. It's corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, he says, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. There's going to be this, this new life. When we, when we take Christ as our Lord, we, we have a new life. Paul says you just continue to walk in this new life in Christ. Keep living in a way that matches what you now claim. You, you claim new life in Christ. You claim that you're saved by Christ. Well, then live that life. Without Jesus and his gospel, of course, it's impossible to live this life. And for those who are saved, we must never forget that this is the new trajectory of our life now. We're now walking in Christ. That can be a little bit troublesome for, for new believers, young believers, because we think, oh, I'm, now I'm, I'm saved and I'm not going to sin anymore. And that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what Paul is saying. But your life is now on a new trajectory. You have a new purpose, new desires, new interests. It's a new life, a new master. This, this is what Paul's getting at. And honestly, I think right here in Colossians 2 verse 6, you have the main verse of this whole letter. It's such a great verse for any Christian. That could be like your main verse for your Christian life. Just as I've received Jesus as Lord, just, I just need to continue or keep living in him, keep walking in him. Well, how do we do that? How do we keep living this life in Christ? Verse 7 says, rooted in him and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Such similarity there with what Paul said in chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. It's almost like the same list, and you guys know how I feel about repetition. Anytime the Bible is going to repeat something, I mean, all of Scripture is important, but this is God's way of just helping us not to miss this. It's so crucial here. We're to be rooted in Jesus. We're to be connected to Him. We're to be grounded in Him grounded in his word. We're to be built up in him, growing in our knowledge of him through his word, and we're to be established in the faith, strengthened every day in our trust in Jesus and what he's done and is doing and, and will do for us. You may ask, well, how do I do that? How can, a, how can a believer be like, you know, rooted in Christ? How can I be more built up in him? How can I strengthen my faith? What do I do? Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks or lives not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. Psalm 1, 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
On his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither and all that he does, he prospers. We understand that this is what we need to do that. This is what we need to stay connected to Christ. Be like a tree, really healthy with deep roots, bearing really good fruit. It's all because of God's word. We, we, we connect our life to Christ through his word. This is how we do it. And notice this too, all this leads to this noticeable change in attitude. We become people who are marked by thankfulness and gratitude. You see that at the end of verse 7, abounding in thankfulness. It kind of acts like a a summary of living the Christ-centered life. You can tell when someone's a Christian. They just live a a life of thankfulness and gratitude. Sure to, you know, each other, but most to God. Constantly giving God praise for all the things in their life. Even when it's like, bro, you have so many reasons to complain right now. And they're like, no, but God is good. God can be trusted. I think that's what Paul's getting at here with this. You know, this is where it all is, is just sort of culminating to abounding in thankfulness. You should be someone who's just, it's hard for you not to thank God constantly for what he's done every day. Just, just praising him, worshiping him, loving him. So grateful for that new life, but also how he's growing that new life. How he's helping you to to live more like him and less like the old you. We should be people marked by thankfulness. How do we keep going when we might be tempted to quit? We have to keep connected to Christ through his word. And then number two, we, we need to guard ourselves to that which is not true, to that which is deceptive, to that which is a lie. We got to guard ourselves from error. Number two, guard against deception. Know that there's this presence of deception. Look at what Paul writes in verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by empty philosophy or deceitful philosophy according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Again, there's this counterfeit. There's this presence of false teaching in that little town of Colossae. And there has been and always will be a force that wants to challenge that Jesus is Lord. A force that wants to disagree with that, that what he did is actually sufficient for our salvation. It's, it's always been disputed that his death was enough for our forgiveness. And that's the reason why we have so many world religions. So many different ways to somehow earn favor with God. Paul warns these believers and we we see the warning for ourselves. Here is the danger you're facing. And he loves to use that little phrase, see to it that no one, something, something. He, He kind of sets that up like he's ringing the warning bell. See to it that no one, and then here Paul says, takes you captive. It's such a strong word, but it's so necessary. Don't be taken away forcibly. Don't be carried away from the truth and really be forced 
into the slavery again of error. What a, what a crazy way to think about what's happening. That somebody is taking you away from the truth and enslaving you to error again. Making you like trust that and, and believe that. And that's what the false teaching there was doing. It was empty. It was deceitful. It was according to human tradition. You may think, well, what is all that? What's Paul saying? Well, it's just this. It's all based on man, man's way, the world's way, not Christ's way. You see that at the end of the verse, not according to Christ, not according to what he taught. It's man's explanation of life. It's man's explanation of, of what you need to live this life that's pleasing to God. It's his idea, not God's. It's so distant and it's so separate from what God says in his word. And it, it stands as this opponent. It goes against, it's placed in contrast to the truth of God. And this false teaching, Paul says it right here. These are instruments of the devil. These elemental spirits, these are instruments of his evil forces working so hard to keep people blind to the gospel, to keep them from ever seeing it. It's just thinking about the the number of religions in, in, in the world right now, and so many of them, sometimes junior hires ask me this, like, but they seem right. They seem like we're talking about the same thing. And you're right, they seem that way. Seems like we're talking about God, that we're talking about salvation. Some of those world religions even mention Jesus. But the one thing at the core of all other religions in our world is this common error. And it's this, that Jesus is not enough. That what he did on the cross isn't enough for salvation. That you must do something. You play this part in it. God will only offer you salvation, they claim, if you do something for him, if you do enough good things, if you earn his favor. Yet only the gospel, according to Jesus, only this truth shows us that Jesus' death on the cross is all that we need. Only God's word shows us that it's, it's simply Christ. Christ is enough. Jesus is enough. Anything that opposes that truth, Paul says, look, it's empty. It's deceptive. It's not true. We have to stay alert and on guard to the deception that's always trying to either keep people away from that truth or those who have been exposed to that truth. It's trying to pull you back away from it. Don't be such an extremist. You don't need to live the, the, this whole Bible thing. Just come over here a little bit. You don't need all that. A great place to start is really to ask this question, what is that new teaching or what is this thing that I'm not sure if it's true or not? What does it say about Jesus? That's a great first question to ask about anything. You want to learn how to be discerning what's true, what's a lie. Ask that. What does it say about Christ? Does it make less of him? Does it elevate me? That's exactly where Paul goes in his next argument and really where we find a third help 
in our fight to keep living for Jesus. Number three, it's long, but it's the best way to say it, I think. Don't forget who Christ is and don't forget what he has done. Can't forget who he is and what he's done. Verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. We shouldn't be deceived by anything that makes more of us and less of Christ. Why? (laughs) Because he's God and we're not. He is God and we are not. No man-made teaching should, should ever persuade us. Again, it's only empty and deceitful. It may sound so good. It may sound life, like, wow, life would be a little easier with this new teaching. Life would be a little easier if I could let off the gas a little bit on the holiness thing. If I could let off the gas on like this living for Christ thing. If I could, you know, kind of push the brakes here a little bit on really trying to, 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 to live as light and salt. It's hard. It'd be easier. But it's not according to Christ. It's a lie and it's only misleading you away from him. Jesus is God. That's something that seems likely that these false teachers were not willing to say. Maybe they said he was a great teacher. Maybe they said he was a great man, but they were not willing to claim Jesus is God. And that's still something that so many religions today refuse to confess. Christ is. He's fully man and fully God, and he died for you, which is why we say those who have faith in the gospel, those who have faith in him have been saved, not by anything they've done, but you're saved by his grace. You're saved by grace alone, through that faith alone, and it's in him alone. It's just not about you. It's about Jesus and who he is And also what he's done. Look at verse 10. It says, we've been filled in him. It's true that believers are filled with his spirit, but this is more about being filled in a sense of joy or satisfaction. Christians are maybe this way, content in their faith. I'm filled in him. I just, I know I have the truth. I know I'm not looking for something else to satisfy my life. I'm not looking for more. I have hope. I have assurance. I have joy. I don't have the same fears and worries that people in this world have. Why? Because I have a God that replaces anxiety with peace. I have a God that replaces my fears with with, with stillness. I know God's in charge, even when it looks crazy and I don't understand it. I know God's in control. I know he is. I know he's sustaining me. Remember what Paul said a few weeks ago? He's holding it all together. He's the one that holds it all together. The the whole creation and, and even the church Christ keeps me going. He provides for my needs. He's accomplishing his plan. In verse 10, look at it. It says, he's the head over every ruler and every authority. He's the big dog of big dogs. The Lord of lords. There's, There's no one higher No authority higher than Christ. He's supreme over everything and every one. In fact, those powers that oppose him, look at verse 15. It says they've been disarmed. They're defeated by him. 
What else has Jesus done? Look at verse 11. Interesting verse. It says in him, you also were, were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What in the world is all this? What is that? Circumcision it was the covenantal sign of, of God's people in the Old Testament. That was something God did for you to, to sort of identify as belonging to God, as being one of God's people. And it became that sign like a, like a badge. I belong to God. You could think of it this way today. It would be like saying I'm saved because I, you know, I go to Grace Church. I'm saved, be, you know, because of my last name or I don't know that I, I just, I'm trying hard to live this life that looks like it's obeying God. It was an outward thing. Just what people could see. Circumcision was something God wanted his people to do to, to set them apart from the nations around them, but not any longer. Not any longer. They didn't need to live by the old covenant anymore. Now they have the new covenant. You identify with God through Christ and his death on the cross. We don't need the Old Testament rituals, the laws. We don't need those any longer. We simply need to put our faith in Christ. That's how we say, I belong to God. That's how I identify to the world that I am one of God's people or his child I've put my faith in the gospel. That's the marker. And I believe some of these Christians were tempted to mix that kind of old way, the Old Testament, the old way of Judaism. They're trying to mix that with this new thing, with, with the gospel. Let's believe in Christ, cool, but let's also do a bunch of stuff to make sure that we find favor with God as well. Let's just not leave it up to chance. Let's add to what Jesus has done just to make sure. Let's just, you know, I don't just really try. That's not how you're saved, though. You're saved by the circumcision of Christ, the death of Christ. We're identified as God's people, and we belong to God based on his Death alone. In verse 12, we'll pick up the pace here a little bit. We're buried with him in baptism. We're, we're raised through faith in the work of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism doesn't mean water baptism here. It just means what that word always means, immersed in Christ. We're immersed into his life and his death and his resurrection. That's what Paul's getting at here. Jesus died and was buried and rose physically so that People who put their faith in the gospel can have spiritual life so that you can be saved, so that you can have this new life in Christ and not have that old self any longer. And verse 13, you're dead in your trespasses. Such a, a familiar phrase to us, almost like that same wording we find in Ephesians 2. We're dead in our sin without Christ. We're hopeless without Christ. We're lost without Christ. We're unable to fix that problem on our own. You are dead. You're not drowning. You're drowned. And there's nothing you can do to fix it. That's what Paul's getting at here. It's only by God and by God's grace that you can have life again, only by his love for us, his mercy for us, that we find this forgiveness. In verse 14, it helps us understand that we're, we're guilty before God. Our, our sin was worthy of his judgment. It's against us. We're not innocent. 
And we're only declared innocent by what God has done. And that's, that's such a sweet, awesome truth. Father took our sin and look at what it says. He, he set it aside. He didn't just erase it. He didn't just forget it. No, he nailed it to the cross of his son. That sin had to be paid for. And Jesus paid for it. He paid our debt so that, again, we could be reconciled, that we could be made right. We could know freedom and forgiveness and no longer be under God's wrath. And and it was at the cross where Jesus accomplished all of that. He disarmed those rulers, those authorities that held us captive. He triumphed over Satan and his demons and sin and death itself. And how important to remind ourselves what Christ has done. Why would you ever want to abandon that and go back to a teaching that enslaves you to sin and death and eternal life separated from God and puts you in hell. It makes no sense. It may seem easier now, but it makes no sense when you look at the whole picture. Look at what Christ has freed me from. Why would I willingly go back to that former life? And that's what Paul's arguing for here, reminding them, oh, believers, look, sin has no hold on you because of what Christ has done. That's what he's saying. The devil can be resisted. The world can be put behind you. That old sinful flesh can be denied. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Because of what he's done. Watching a show last couple days, this adventure racing show, World's Toughest Race. All these crazy people running around Fiji doing the most extreme, dangerous, and pretty awesome things. It was really interesting. I'm just watching all of these, these athletes do the most amazing things as they race hundreds of kilometers, risking their lives, doing insane stuff. But they had reasons to quit every single day, multiple times a day. There was something where you're like, this dude's quitting. <laughs> And they wouldn't. They wouldn't quit. So many of them just kept going. They wouldn't give up. And I was just kind of admiring their, their tenacity, their grit, if you will, their determination to just keep going. I was just like, what would it be like to face all those obstacles, to not, to just look at all those things against you and not quit, to not give in, to just say, I'm not going to stop. And the ones that won, the ones that did really well, that made it to the end, they all had such a similar story. They were prepared. They, they knew what they needed to do to, to make sure they had every opportunity they, they needed to actually cross the finish line. They educated themselves. They, they trained. They worked hard to make sure they knew what, it, what they needed to keep going so that they wouldn't quit. And there's such similarity for the believer. Grit isn't enough. Just pure determination, it isn't enough on its own. 
We need these tools, these reminders that Paul speaks of here. These are tools that we have to have to survive, tools that every believer needs to put into practice if they're truly going to keep going. You could reverse all three of those, and that's the fast track to quitting. Cut yourself off from Christ. Entertain every worldly new teaching there possibly is. Just stop remembering who Christ is and, and what he's done. It'll be moments until you quit. This is how to keep going. These tools that Paul gives us, these are so valuable. And this is what we need to never quit. Father, thank you for a few minutes this morning to just look at your word and be impacted by such helpful truths. God, we know that the Christian life is hard. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for a week or for 50 years. The Christian life is difficult, and there are so many reasons that we might be tempted to quit. God, I'm grateful that as we work out our salvation, we know that you're helping us, that you're working in us. But God, we also have a role to play. Pray that you would help us to, to stay connected to you through your word. God, that we would just be aware of the lies that are all around us, trying to blind us to your truth. Father, and I pray even this week as we head to school or whatever we have in front of us, Father, that you would keep our minds on you, who you are and what you've done. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for your word. God, help us to live it today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.